Hello, this is Dr. Amanda Garcia, Director of the School of Professional Advancements Media and Design Program at Tulane University, and I would like to welcome you to our podcast, Trust the Process. A podcast where we explore the creative paths that led us to where we are today. We have a very special guest, Mr. Chip Kidd. Chip is the Associate Art Director for Knopf and is an accomplished author, book jacket designer, and comic enthusiast. Today, we explore his journey in this episode titled, Always Judge a Book by Its Cover. Well, welcome, Chip Kidd. Thank you so much for being here. Do do you like when people call you by both? First and last name. <laughs> yes, it's fine. It's <laughs> okay. fine. It's, it's so I, I, it's, I, that way I know they know it's me. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us today. Um, we are very fortunate to have you in town right now for a talk with our students and faculty and some community members. So for our listeners, Chip is in town for that and was gracious enough to also do this podcast um, called Trust the Process. So if you're new to this, um, we discuss our creative paths that led us to this point in our careers and maybe reflect on where we're going in the future. Um, So with that in mind, can you tell us where you started, maybe where you were born and grew up? I was born in Reading, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour northwest of Philadelphia, so southeast Pennsylvania. And... I had a a very nice, pleasantly uneventful childhood. Uh, I knew I wanted to do something creative with my life. I love to draw. I love comic books. Mm. Um, But as I was going up through the... I I went through a public school system. By the time I got to 10th grade... And, and we're talking, all right, so I'm 57 years old. So we're talking uh, the, the uh, late 70s into the early 80s. My high school uh, developed or had this operational TV studio oh, wow. within the school. And it was so cool. That is cool. And then that completely took over my what I would say, creative life. I was also in the marching band. Nice. Um, what did you play? Drums. And, okay. And, and, and we were a serious competitive marching band. That's awesome. So, so I had this duality of like, like music and then this TV thing. And we would put out uh, what, what is now, you know, known as local cable access. Mm-hmm. So, and we were a big sports school. Okay. Uh, it was Wilson High School in West Lawn, Pennsylvania. And, uh, and we would do a live television show every Monday night at 7 PM, which would, it was mostly about how the sports teams did, uh, over the weekend, Mm -hmm. but we'd also like film the games Wow! and we had two, uh, uh, faculty advisors, but other than that, it was all run by the kids, like doing the directing and running the cameras and being the on-air talent. And so I thought, all right, this is what I really want to do. This is so much fun. I want to go into television. And then, so I, uh, I applied to Penn State University. Okay. Uh, for, quote, communications, <laughs> right. got in, 
And then my, but my senior year of high school, I started doing graphics for the various TV shows. There you go. And so, uh-huh. and we're talking strictly by hand. So nice. if we were doing this and the, the TV show was called highlights. Okay. So I would draw the word highlights using Christmas bulbs for mm. our Christmas show mm-hmm. or Easter eggs for the Easter show. And really started to get into that. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, at that point, I still didn't know what, quote, graphic design was. I just knew that it was really fun to do this aspect Mm -hmm. of this television station. It's interesting you mentioned that. There has not been one person that has come on this podcast that knew what graphic design was as an adolescent. They hadn't heard the term. They weren't exposed to it. I think one person had heard the words commercial art Mm -hmm. in the past. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting, interesting that, you know... I wish it was more of the vernacular when we were younger. So maybe we could come to those realizations earlier and pursue that earlier. So, well, I'm going to get into that yeah. tonight okay. uh, in the talk. Mm-hmm. I'm going because the first part of the talk is um, the creation of this book that I did to teach graphic design to children, mm-hmm. and it's called Go. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing like that existed when I was when I was a kid, and so. So my senior year of high school, I was able to switch my major at Penn State from communications to art. Nice. Well, nice, except my parents nearly had a heart attack. I bet. (laughs) Nearly had a heart attack. Like, what are you doing? And it's it's interesting. I I had great mom and dad, um, wonderful, wonderful parents, and they were both very creative, but uh, my dad was a chemical engineer, and my mother was the. Uh, she did what we what used to be called personnel um, for various companies, which is now called human resources. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they were both very creative, but they would not have dreamt of trying to do something creative as a living. I see. And so, they were really worried about me. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand that, mm-hmm. um, even though I do not have children, but I understand it. Absolutely, yeah. But I just thought I'm going to give this a shot. And, and where I got, I got very lucky on several fronts. Penn State, it turns out, has an amazing and had an amazing graphic design department. Oh, okay. So back then. They back had, then. That's great. And it was actually started by a guy named Lanny Samis in 1970. Okay. And great. and now we're talking, I get there in 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only was it excellent, it was very selective. Mm. So, you know, freshman and sophomore years, you would take your foundation courses, mm-hmm. but then you had to put together a portfolio to continue mm-hmm. for your junior and senior years. That's great. Yeah. And they selected 20 kids That's it. a year. No matter That's how many. <laughs> in a school wow. of 40,000 kids on campus. Oh, my gosh. So, um, so I was very lucky to be there because I really just picked Penn State because if you grow up in Pennsylvania, that's the 13th that's grade. That's it, yeah. You know? <laughs> And it's an excellent school. It's an excellent school. Uh, and the the teachers that I had there were amazing. I had four truly amazing teachers. 
And, uh, the, okay, just to roll it back. Yeah. Um, my, the very beginning of my freshman year, um, I had a guidance counselor who I long since forgot this person's name, unfortunately, who, you know, we had a talk and he or she said, well, there's this area here called graphic design and I, you know, you should take the introduction to graphic design and see what you think. Mm -hmm. Well, that changed. That's all it took. Right. Changed everything. And, Mm -hmm. um, so goodbye television and hello, hello graphic design. And, uh, but at that point, well, that point through through my four years of undergrad. By the end of it, I was like, "Yes, mm-hmm. this is totally what I want to do," mm-hmm. um, and I want to be a graphic designer, and I want to be a graphic designer in New York City. And where were you living at the time? You were still in Pennsylvania. At the did, time, I was still in Pennsylvania. Did you have any contacts in New York, or is that just where you wanted to be? The actually, the only contact I had, and it wasn't even the contact. There was a, a, a fellow classmate, a wonderful woman named Barbara DeWilda, who was a year ahead of me, and we were like besties. Mm-hmm. And she had gone to New York and was trying to make it. And she had a semi-legal 5,000-square-foot uh, loft in this strange mm. part of Brooklyn called uh, Williamsburg. <laughs> and so she let me crash there. Yeah. Which was huge. I mean, yeah. um, was huge. And, uh, so I would, and those, you know, this is all pre-computer days. So mm-hmm. I would, I would do cold calling and I would take my portfolio into the city and get people to see me. And, um, and, and I took it from there. So I think for, for your audience, like, I would say, you know, like specific goals are great, but you have to be open to the thing that actually comes up that might be viable. And in mm-hmm. my case, I wanted to work for a graphic design firm. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the hottest firm in the city was called Emin Company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was run by Timor Kalman. And I got an interview there and I got to talk with him. Uh, but what I was finding... And of course, in retrospect, I mean, I was, you know, only looking for like a month or two. Yeah. But it seemed like an eternity because <laughs> I was getting all these interviews and getting great feedback, but nobody had an entry level position. Mm-hmm. And then somebody said, you should go to Random House and see if you can get some freelance book jacket work to tide you over mm-hmm. until you get the job that you really want. And have you done, up to that point, had you done book jacket design? No. Okay. I mean, my I, my Penn State portfolio was actually an advantage mm. because, because the instructors were great. The projects in it were very eclectic. Mm-hmm. There was a, but the, you know, there was a magazine design. We had a book design class, mm-hmm. but it was letterpress. Oh, nice. Oh my oh gosh. Oh my God. It was fantastic. Yes. So... There was definitely evidence there yeah. in the portfolio to do that. You could do these things. That I could do those Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but as I remember, 
I don't think I had an actual book cover in there. Wow. Um, and this lovely woman named Judith Lozer at Vintage Books took pity upon me and gave me a freelance cover to do. And, and I swear to God, this is all true. <laughs> the book was called How to Work for a Jerk. <laughs> and it's, it was a self-help book for people in a job that they couldn't leave, but they hated their bosses. Oh my gosh. Funny. So I'm like, yay, (laughs) I get to do this cover. And, and again, we're, we're talking colored pencils on tracing paper. And I, and I did it and, but I made it look like a, a horror comic. Um, you know, with drippy type nice, and, yeah. you know, like, like your boss is a monster. And I came back and I turned it in and she was very amused. And she, and she said, well, I'll show this. I'll show this, but I, I'm not terribly hopeful. <laughs> right. And sure enough, like it was totally rejected. Oh yeah. Uh, so, you know, strike one. <laughs> and, but there was a, a woman down the hall from her. Mm-hmm named Sarah Eisenman, who, and we're, again, we're talking, this is the fall of 1986. And she was the art director of Alfred A. Knopf mm-hmm. Publishing, a very prestigious publishing imprint of Random House. And she was looking for an assistant. So I showed her my portfolio. And she said, you know, this looks really interesting. Um, I have just started looking so um i need to you know i need to see a bunch of variety sure. of people yeah but i'll let you know in like two weeks or whatever it was and like the two of the longest weeks passed <laughs> because because i just thought i want this yeah i just so want you this. knew that that was going to set you up yeah p.s P- it paid $16,000 a year. Ooh. <laughs> In New York. In New York. Um, uh. And so, long story short, I, I got it. That's amazing. And I get the, I, again, the lesson there is I wasn't looking for a career in mm-hmm. book publishing. Right. But I thought, this is a good start. Let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm. It's a good company. It's a reputable company. You know, the money's terrible, but at least it's steady mm-hmm. and I'll get medical benefits. And could you also do freelance work still? Yes. That's great. And that was yeah. key. Mm-hmm. That was key. They, you know, and to this day, most publishers allow their staff to do freelance. That's great. Um, unless you're under some sort of contract that says no. Mm-hmm. But um, most people that I know still freelance. I still freelance. Mm-hmm. I mean, this whole Anderson Cooper thing I'm going to talk about tonight is, right. a, free, is a freelance job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, all right, I'll do this for a couple of years and see what happens. What type of work were you doing for her? Okay, the, very good question. Uh, very menial. I mean, again, back then we did everything by hand. So we were doing what we call paste-up mechanicals. Mm-hmm. Um, very labor-intensive. So how it works and how it works to this day is Let's say if a freelancer does a book design, they usually 
we'll do the front and the, the front cover and the spine. And then once that gets approved, it comes in house and somebody has to do the follow up. Oh, I see. Which is the back cover and the flaps. Mm -hmm. And, and usually that's very labor intensive because there's tons of copy editing back and forth that, that goes on. I can see that. It's very tedious. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's been interesting during the pandemic. <laughs> uh, so I was doing mainly follow-up work on other people's books. I see. But then, and also I think, and with any job, you know, they want entry level or you're just there new, you know, they, they want to see like, how do you work with the other people? How do you, you know, how do you, you know, how, literally, how are you working? Absolutely. Out? Yeah. 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 And it was going okay. Now, I don't want to get bogged down in, in too much detail, but at right when I got there, all sorts of managerial stuff at Knopf was changing. Um, the editor-in-chief, Robert Gottlieb, uh, who had been there for 20-some years, uh, announced that he was leaving to be the editor-in-chief of The New Yorker oh, magazine. Wow. And actually, had that not happened... I'm not sure I would have stayed for a long time because he, I don't want to say he wasn't a visionary. It's just that he wasn't the kind of visionary that he was stuck in the seventies. Mm. Like, okay. like, like in terms of book covers, I say, yeah, like he didn't really want to see a lot of innovation, but, but he left. Mm -hmm. And then this guy, uh, Sonny Mehta, uh, M-E-H-T-A, came in and I mean, he didn't really announce it, but he wanted to burn the place down and start over. Wow. And the first book he bought for the imprint was called Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. And it was about a family of circus freaks. And that by now I've been there, what, three years. And that was the first really meaty design mm -hmm. that was thrown my way to say, okay, do something with this. Nice. And I made it fluorescent orange, which was seen as very strange <laughs> at the time. And I did this hand lettering um, so that each of the, the letters looked like they were all in the same family, but they were different. Mm -hmm. Sort of like the characters in the book. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of, and every, that turned a lot of heads and sold a lot of books. And it just sort of went on from there. Like, I think, and I, I should mention, last October, I passed the 35-year mark at Alfred A. Knopf. So I've been doing this nonstop. That's amazing. <laughs> for over a third of a century. That's amazing. And, you know, I intend to keep, going mm -hmm. um so you were there for three years before you got your own jacket design i had gotten one or two or three covers to do before that um but it was first mostly for things that 
how do I put this? Where the stakes weren't really high, sure, like like, yeah. uh, like a book of poetry, mm-hmm. um, by somebody that nobody ever heard of. Um, but that but it was great because like all right, there's not a lot of pressure on right. This. The stakes like, are low, right? Yeah. The stakes, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, I was gradually getting actual design work That's to great. do. Yeah, yeah, and. And then it it was just like a steady rise to the top. Rise to the top. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, um, throughout my career there at Knopf, to use a space analogy, I never wanted to be Captain Kirk. I wanted to be Mr. Spock. <laughs> so within a year of my hiring, the woman who hired me, Sarah Eisenman, left oh okay because she met and married the love of her life who was a book publisher in boston oh wow and she had to be up in boston right? yeah. and she she didn't want to leave the job it was it was it was heartbreaking yeah but she had to and i was 22 and the head head art director said you know if you just had six months more experience i'd Promote, I'd, yeah. I'd let you give it a shot but i just can't like I can't, I can't have the you know the editors at Kanaf sure. have this kid, yeah, in charge of the jackets. It's just not going to work. And I remember at the time I was really indignant about it, <laughs> <laughs> but not so indignant that I quit. Right. Um, I wasn't stupid. Yeah. And it was interesting because that summer, that would have been the summer of 1987. Uh, I effectively was the art director because they were doing a search. I bet, yeah. And the and the summer back then was sort of like slow. Okay. But I had to oversee mm-hmm. all you know that for like four months. Right. I had to over. Now I had the guidance of the head head art director, which is a guy named Bob Scuderi, and he, you know, and that was key. Mm-hmm. You, um, but I was sort of like in charge and and it did make me realize that i didn't want that Mm -hmm. i want to make things right i want to design yeah you get to a certain level and you no longer make well and you frankly as the years went on i i actually saw bob scutellari promote himself out of a job oh wow because he wasn't designing anything Mm -hmm. anymore yeah um so they brought they brought on finally that fall they brought on this woman named Carol Divine Carson, who was great. She had actually never worked in books before. She worked for Scholastic. Okay, yeah. And she was my boss for the next thirty two years. Oh wow! And uh, I mean, obviously it it worked. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I I've come to understand this about myself um i don't like being a manager i don't like i don't want anybody to report to me (laughs) i don't want to be responsible for right right ultimately yeah um and that's pretty much done me in good stead so um at this point my official title is associate art director for book jackets and special projects but but also 20 years ago, I helped uh, basically jumpstart 
a graphic novel program um, at Pantheon, which is like our sister imprint. Um, and that's, so that's yet another sort of creative outlet mm-hmm. for me there where I acquire and, you know, graphic novels are a fancy word for books of comics. Mm-hmm. And previous to my coming there, one of the huge, most famous graphic novels we published was Mouse, M-A-U-S. Oh, okay. Which has been in the yeah. news lately. Yeah. Um, and uh, and to this day, I mean, we pub- that's been mm-hmm. in print, and especially now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I know the the uh, author and artist is a guy named Art Spiegelman, who I've become friends with. And so, so that part of the job has been very gratifying. I noticed that, you know, there are certain authors who come to you for their jackets, David Sedaris, et cetera. How did those relationships start? Did they just very much favor something that you did and kept asking for you? Or how does that work? The David Sedaris thing, I think, was, again, that was a freelance job. I think it was a fluke. (laughs) Um, He had published one book called Barrel Fever. Okay. Uh which did okay, but then his next book was going to be called Naked. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's so long ago that I, I don't remember all the details, but as I, I think it was the art director at Little Brown, which was the publisher, reached out to me and said, hey, um, I, don't e- I don't even know if David was part of that process. Mm, okay. I think it was the art director who said, we have this book called Naked and why don't you, you know, do some designs for it and we'll see. Yeah. And that book really put him on the next level and not be, not because of the cover. I mean, I think that the cover was good, but it's just, it's interesting to see sure. now. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing this for three decades how writers careers work Mm -hmm. or don't um and certainly you know he's gone through the stratosphere absolutely that's great and then let's talk a little bit about jurassic park how did that come up we have to talk about it sorry (laughs) of course and i I am going to talk about it tonight too that was an in-house job which of course Uh, had it not been, I might be on a super yacht right now, <laughs> which is sort of a joke. But um, that was par- literally part of my day job. And by that time, that would have been what, 1990? Uh, by that time, I had, you know, I had done Geek Love uh, and a couple other interesting things. And the, the editor-in-chief... And you know, and Knopf had published Michael Crichton from the beginning. Mm, they they okay. published Andromeda Strain in sixty eight or sixty nine, when Crichton was a med student. Mm. So there was a, a history sure. of all of his books being at Knopf, and this new one came in that was called Jurassic Park, and he handed me the manuscript and said, "I mean, I, I'm, I'm." Very much shortening the process. Sure. We, when we got the manuscript, we already knew that Spielberg had bought it 
Oh, you to did? make a film. Oh, wow. So we did know that. Um, no pressure. Right. <laughs> and, but I literally, my editor-in-chief, Sonny Maida, said, you know, think about what happened with Jaws. We need to do that. Mm -hmm. We need some sort of graphic representation that will become so iconic that it will be attached to the film. Wow. And I remember thinking, there's no way <laughs> I'm going to be able to do that in a million years. I didn't say that. Right. But I, That's what you're I thinking. said, okay. <laughs> but... Um, but it was a it was a real process, and I know, again, my boss Carol Carson, she was working on it, I was working on it, um, and you know we had tried things like commissioning a painting of what dinosaur skin might look like, mm. um, which was interesting but not exciting. Sure. And, but we didn't want, we didn't want it to look like a kid's book about dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Um, cause it, cause it wasn't. And, and by, you know, reading that in man, reading books in manuscript is so interesting because they don't really exist yet. And so you're getting like a first mm -hmm. look at it. Um, and it's also what helped lead me into writing myself because the the job you know you have to read everything so it's like a never-ending course on contemporary literature <laughs> right um so so the people who had read just jurassic park there was a huge buzz in the company because it was so interesting yeah. and so cool and i went to the uh American Natural History Museum in New York. Mm -hmm. And I just looked at all the bones because that's what we know. Mm -hmm. This is what we have. Right. We've got the bones. And then I, I bought um, a book on paleontology in, that they had in the gift shop that had tons of mechanical drawings of of mm -hmm. dinosaur bones and I used that as the source material mm -hmm. and tonight I'm going to show the original tracing and tracing. sketches yeah um and it became this process of like and I I don't really draw but for this I mean it's I mean you look at that thing you don't say oh it's a drawing it looks like what you would call a graphic. Sure, yeah. But it was drawn. And the the question was, at what point do you stop filling in the blanks? I see. And I decided, stop filling in the blanks when you still have all those sharp edges. So you have, you know, the ribs coming and the the claws and the, then of course all the teeth and the bone structure on the back of the neck and there was just something about that that looked 
very dangerous Mm -hmm. and very menacing, but it was entirely based on real science. That's a real skeleton. Like I'm not making anything up. Right. It's not an interpretation of that. It's the actual, yeah. Well, I mean, it's an interpretation of a real thing. I see. Without, I mean, I didn't add wings to it or, you know, or whatever. (laughs) Um, And it just seemed to work. And then the, I mean, my typography, I think, has always been what I would call sort of utilitarian. Like, I'm not, I'm not super adventurous with typography, um, which is, you know, I think neither good nor bad. But I, I don't usually do fancy, swirly lettering for stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just not in my sensibility. And so the typography I used was just sort of um, plain. And I thought, you know, this would be the kind of lettering that you'd see on park signage, Mm -hmm. which just needs to be clear. Right. You know, like a highway sign. Sure. And, and that was sort of it. And, uh, and Crichton loved it. And, uh, you know, something like that needs to go through a whole gauntlet of oh, I bet. approvals. Did Spielberg have any input in that as no. well? They didn't no. have to. That's good. Um, yeah. Th- I, that would be very... I'm trying to even think. I mean, it's approvals all within Random House. Spielberg, Spielberg doesn't work for Random House. Right, right. Um, and so the book came out was a huge hit and again we're talking by now we're talking sometime in 1991 my phone my office phone rings and it's a lawyer from universal pictures wanting to speak to me because on my name is on the flap jacket design and illustration by chip kid and uh and he said we uh We'd like to purchase the rights to this image just in case we might want to use it in Mm -hmm. conjunction with the movie. And I said, okay, I'm going to switch you over now to our legal department because I don't own it. I I just drew it. Oh, my gosh. Part of my my job. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah. (laughs) But... Like, even at, at that stage, we had no idea. Sure, yeah. And uh, <laughs> it was eventually they bought the rights for $20,000. That seems very low. Yeah, it sure does. Wow. It? And, and actually, my editor-in-chief gave me a good chunk of that, for which I was very grateful. Um, but then, you know... The rest is history. And they had a screening of the movie when the movie was finally done. And there were all sorts of um, reports during the making of the movie that it, that it was going really badly. Oh, geez. Um, because they, initially they tried to do it all with puppets. Oh, no. Or animatronic, sure. a- animatronics or whatever you want to say. and But they managed to develop this breakthrough CGI for that film. And so finally the movie was done. They had a screening for us at Kinaf. 
<laughs> and we sat there and like, oh my, well, first of all, I mean, it's an amazing movie yeah, and it, hol- it holds up really well. And, and part of that's, that's really part of why we're, right, yeah. and it's why we're even talking about right, it now. Sure, sure. But the logo is just everywhere. It's the logo. It's not the logo of the movie. It's the logo of the park. And we were we were all just in disbelief, in disbelief. <laughs> That's too funny. And so, and here we are. Yeah. Uh, I I was really really surprised, you know. However many years ago, because I thought with the third film, all right, it's dead. Basically, there's no more stories to tell about this. And then. They keep doing it. They keep doing it. What yeah. was it? Jurassic World, I yeah. guess, is the one that... And they're all great. And they keep using, they keep the, using new, the logo. <laughs> and the new one's coming out, yeah. you know, this summer. That's and they're re- reuniting. Now, then the advertising for the new one, it says it's the last in the saga. Oh, I see. So, but, I mean, it won't be. But the the, the, the challenge to them and the challenge to, to any of these companies that try to reboot something is, all right... This is still hugely popular. How do we tell a new mm-hmm. interesting story? Right, right. But for this one, they're reuniting the old cast from the That's first gonna one. That's going to be great. So oh. everybody's going to be... That's going to be great. It's going to be huge. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about how you got into writing yourself? And what was your first book that you wrote? The first book I wrote is called The Cheese Monkeys. And I got into writing... Uh, I'd say in the mid 1990s, I, I, you know, I enjoyed write like writing papers for college and, you know, college. There's a certain amount of writing that you have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had I didn't really think, oh, gee, I want to pursue this. But there were a couple factors I think that led to it. Um, being in this job at Knopf, where I'm reading manuscripts all the time. Top writers. So John Updike and... Um, and it's, it's interesting, like Crichton... Crichton's not like a great prose writer, but in terms of the ideas, like the top, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm being exposed to all of this writing. And... I but I got asked to and I don't even remember why. There's a there's a graphic design magazine called Graphis mm-hmm. which in some form exists to this day cuz I keep I don't know if the magazine exists anymore but the they they do these poster competitions and design competitions. So Graphis in some form still exists. It used to be this very lavishly produced yes. um uh, yes, it was like a magazine that you did not throw away. Right, absolutely. You, you, <laughs> kept you put, it as a reference material for years. On the shelf. Yeah. And um, the guy who was the head of it was Martin. Oh, can't remember. But I would I would run into him at you know design functions, and he said something about, "Would you like to write an article for us about something?" And and so I did, and I. I wanted to write about uh, people bringing me their portfolios to review because it just seemed so uncanny to me that it wasn't 
that long ago that I was bringing my right, portfolio absolutely. For, for people to review. And here now I was, and again, like I'm only 24 or 25. Right. Oh, at that time. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. Um, certainly not yet 30. And so he, he's like, I, I guess they had some sort of like op-ed page or whatever. And it's like, do you want to do something? And so I had to come up with this idea that about somebody coming in with their portfolio and showing it to me and, and uh, what I, how I evaluate that. And, and so I wrote this piece and it was only maybe a page or two pages, but it was, it was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, David Sedaris comes along as a writer and that hugely influenced me because I, it was, it was a case of like, Oh God, I wish I could write. Like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, because he's hitting like all the bases and what was so great about him at that time, again, the mid 1990s, well, he was so funny, but, and he, he didn't hide the fact that he was gay, mm -hmm. but he didn't, I don't know. It didn't seem like quote gay writing. I see. It, 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 I'm not articulating this very well, and I should, because I've certainly thought a lot about it over the years, but it, it was just simply a fact of his life. Mm -hmm. Now, there were some of the stories were very, like, it, you could call them gay humor. Sure. But that really spurred me on to, like, all right, and I should try this. And what I had envisioned was this epic trilogy and only semi-autobiographical. I wanted it to be fiction, but like elementary school, college, and work. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so I put all of this work into, I would sort of like jump around and, and I did with, you know, an outline. And uh, so being in the business, I knew a bunch of agents literary agents and actually one of the most powerful uh to this day is a woman named amanda urban and uh i was i had by that time i had done a bunch of really successful jackets for her clients um all the pretty horses by cormac mccarthy the secret history by donna tart and this new writer she just took on haruki murakami and uh, I did a cover for him called The Elephant Vanishes. So I, I knew I could get her on the phone. Right, right. <laughs> and I said, but I, I just wanted her advice. I said, look, you hear this all the time. Don't hang up. But I'm working on a novel. And I want to know, could you recommend somebody? Because she worked for International Creative Management. So it okay. was a, a big firm. Is there someone in your office who might want to take a look at it to see if they might want to represent it? And she said, well, I'll look at it. And which scared me um, because she is, she's great, but she is tough as nails. Oh, no. And um, she said, I'll look at it. 
and I'll read it. And then I'll tell you whether you should just put it in a drawer and forget about it. Oh, geez. Oh, Lordy. (laughs) And, um, And I said, all right, fair enough. And so, I don't know, a week later or whatever, she calls back and she says, all right, I like the college section. I think that has potential. I think that's what you should pursue. Mm -hmm. She said, but because you're not perceived as a writer, you're perceived as a graphic designer for books, what you really should do is write a complete first draft of the whole thing, beginning, middle, and end, because that's what I'm going to be able to shop around. I'm not going to be able to shop around an outline for you. Oh, because wow. be- It's a tall order without a yeah. Hello. Like, I am so... I mean, and this is why I'm a graphic designer and not, quote, a fine artist. Mm-hmm. I need, like, a client and a brief and, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I'm not a weekend painter, you know? I, I, so the idea that I might be working on this for a long time with no guarantee. Right, absolutely. That's... I mean, all right, so Binky's repping, repping it, so people will pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, my God, I think it was five or six years. Oh, wow. Because I'm, I'm not a fast writer, and I have a full-time job, and... um. But I did it, and she shopped it around, and sure enough, I mean, a couple of the places that I would have liked to have seen it go said, it's really fun, but I don't think it's for us. And then finally, uh, Scribner Mm -hmm. liked it and said, we like it. We want to do it, but is he willing to work on it? Because I used to, well, okay, to the, so back then, do you remember Quark? Yes. Oh, gosh. Yes. I wrote in Quark. I wrote in a typesetting program. Okay. So that it looked, that makes sense. So that it looked like it was finished. <laughs> All right. Whereas back then, still people were working on typewriters. Oh. And we're gradually word. I see. But, um, you know, I, so my first draft looked like it was a, looked like it was a completed book. Right, right. As designers like to do. Yeah. And and today I write in InDesign. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, but yes, they're like, well, this is, you know, it looks great, but, you know, it needs editing and it needs Mm-hmm. some work is he willing to do the work and i'm like yes absolutely yeah and and it happened um now it came out the cheese monkeys came out in october of 2001 so think about that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so you know a month after this horrific, horrific thing had happened. And, but, and we had like a 13 city tour plan. Oh my goodness. And I 
went on the tour. Uh, we didn't cancel anything. But it was, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I think so much about the time we're in now and, and, uh, and back then. There would be events where I, you know, fly to San Francisco and five people would be there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I, but then I fly to Oregon and there'd be 500 people there. Hmm. It was bizarre. Like, I think it depended on how much people were paying attention. You know, they just wanted to think about the tragedy or they wanted to escape from it. Right. And, and even so, even so, uh, the book appeared on two regional bestseller lists, which in the business allows you to say on the cover, national, national, National. you can't say New York times bestseller because it didn't make it to that, but it made it to like Boston and San Francisco or wherever. And, and I always, and so then eventually I got to write the next one, which was about work called, called the learners. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we'll see. I mean, I've, I've like quote unquote written a bunch of books since then, but they're, um, most of them are about, you know, they're, they're visual books that are about, you know, like Batman or, uh, Charles Schultz. Um, and then, then the, the book for kids, the, the, the go a kid's guide to graphic design. And, um, I've been, I've been trying to jumpstart a third novel and we'll see. Okay. I, I was doing it. I got about 80 pages in and then, and then, you know, the pandemic hit. Oh, I see. And there's been a lot of articles about this since then on how, for some writers, it just spurred them on. Mm-hmm. And then for others, it just froze them. Right. I'm in the latter category. I see. We'll get there. If it's meant to be, I'll get back to it. Mm-hmm. So one of the, a couple of things you were talking about, I was jotting it down. I think that would be interesting for our students to hear more about your portfolio review process. Mm-hmm. What are you looking for? And then also if a student is interested, because we have students, I hear this, um, a lot that they want to go into publishing or book jacket design, et cetera. So what advice, I guess, would you have for students who are interested in pursuing that industry? And then if so, what are you looking for in their portfolio? Well, what I'm looking for, and I think what any good art director is going to be looking for is strong conceptual thinking that you can present in a formally interesting way. And I don't mean to be like super vague about that, but like, that's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. I want, I want the idea, but it's got to look good. And, and then there's this other sort of just basic uh, adage. If that's when I look at that book, does it make me want to read it? Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's very vague too, but you know, design something that that's going to make me want to read it. Right. Absolutely. And I get, you know, inquiries from time to time from 
either students or, like we were talking about earlier, I think, people who are sort of in mid-career, mm-hmm. that they're, they're graphic designers, but they, they're, they don't like what they're doing and they want to get into books. And the, you know, the obvious suggestion is find a bunch of books that you, and hope, and usually books that you like, because I think if you like the book, you're going, it's going to bring something, you're going to want to bring more to it. Sure. Yeah. You know, select six or whatever that you like the books, but you don't like the covers. Mm -hmm. And so redesign them and make me interested in them, you know, cause, cause the, uh, the technology to do this and make them look like quote real has existed. Oh, absolutely. For, you know, for almost two decades or right. whatever, because before, you know, we, would literally have to physically comp things up. Right. Um, and I, and I still, what I've really missed during the pandemic is that my home studio, which is in South Florida, um, I don't have the kind of printer that I have at the, at the corporate office, which is this fantastic professional proof printer. Mm. That's like the size of a Toyota. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, so that I can really see what these things are going to look like because in the, you know, leading up to the pandemic, our process, like I, all the editorials, one flight up. So I don't want to be sending people JPEGs. Right. I want to print them out and trim them and wrap them around books and say, Hey, do you have a minute? I want to come up and show you this. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course we haven't, been able to do that but yeah. i think you know c- come this summer hopefully that that will be the case again uh, you know they're getting back to portfolios you know i i taught senior design portfolio for six years at school of visual arts now this is in the 90s so there was we were really working on physical portfolios the idea of a digital portfolio wasn't really yet viable Mm -hmm. i think some of the basic rules if you will i mean still apply um you want to start off with a fantastic piece Mm -hmm. you want to end with a fantastic piece quality over quantity is very important you know it very important. If you have 10 projects that you really aced in school, but you also have like five or six more that maybe you didn't, (laughs) don't include the five or six just to quote, beef up your portfolio. Show me the good stuff. I just want to see the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been super interesting and insightful. And I think, you know, understanding that you had those amazing opportunities in high school to be introduced to an artful medium, right? So even though it wasn't graphic design or it wasn't necessarily 
fine art. It was media and it was film or TV, I would say. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that that's really important for people to understand that you're not always going to be introduced to your exact field that you want to pursue super early on, but be open to those opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. And take advantage of them. If something like that exists in your high school or exists in junior high, even these days, right. With technology, we're seeing more and more students coming out of high school that have experience in these different areas. Take advantage of that and understand that although when you get to college, things could change, you could change your mind. We've all changed majors, you know, as an architecture and somehow found my way to design, Mm -hmm. but it's all valuable. Yes. It's all, it's all adding up in that, in the back of your mind in terms of visual literacy, spatial relationships, all of those things that are going to inform a creative path that you might choose for yourself in the future. Exactly. That's great. Well, thanks again, Chip. And I look forward to your talk tonight. All right. Thank you. Trust the Process is a Sunnyside Up production supported by Tulane University School of Professional Advancements Media and Design Programs. Tulane SOPA Media and Design offers bachelor's degrees, postgraduate certificates, and professional certificates in graphic design, interactive UX UI design, advertising, public relations, and digital media marketing. To learn more about this podcast and our award-winning programs, visit sopa.tulane.edu. That's S-O-P-A.tulane.edu. This podcast is written and directed by Amanda Garcia and produced by William Parrish of Sweet Clover Studios. To learn more about our guest today and to find past episodes, visit sopa.tulane.edu slash trust the process.